Welcome to the Pure Flix Podcast, a show brought to you by PureFlix.com. PureFlix.com, the faith, family, and fun video streaming service. Get ready for uplifting news, scripture, movie reviews, and interviews with some of your favorite actors, authors, and pastors. Let's get started. Hey, what's going on? It's Billy Hollowell, and I'm here today with the Pure Flix Podcast. We're a weekly show that offers you interviews with your favorite pastors and celebrities, insight, inspiration, and a preview of what's to come in faith and family-friendly entertainment. So today we're going to dive right in on a fascinating interview that we did with Sean McDowell. He's a professor and author and the son of well-known apologist Josh McDowell. Now, Sean wrote a new book. He's the co-author of the book. It's called So the Next Generation Will Know. And this is a book really that I think is a wake-up call for so many of us. You know, we're living in this era of, of confusion and chaos. And the Barna Group, which is a polling firm, is actually calling Generation Z. These are the young people born between 1999 and 2015, the first, quote, truly post-Christian generation. So it's kind of crazy. And, and that's the era we're living in. A lot of young people not understanding faith, not being impacted by a biblical worldview. And so Sean wrote this book alongside Jay Warner Wallace to really help us reach that next generation. I think for so many parents, a lot of them are just, a lot of us are thinking, what are we going to do? How do we raise our kids the right way? And how do we do that in a culture that is not as friendly as it was when we were kids uh, when it comes to faith and Christianity? And so let's welcome Sean to the show today. Hey, Sean, how's it going? Good, Billy. So thanks so much for coming on. You have got a new book out, so the next generation will know, Preparing Young Christians for a Challenging World. Uh, why, did you, why did you write this book? This book is really the culmination of just two decades plus of teaching in the classroom, being a youth pastor, uh, speaking, and now being a dad that says, how do we really engage these kids? And to be honest with you, the biggest motivation to write this book was my kids, Scotty, Shauna, and Shane, they're 14, 11, and uh, six years old. And I started just noticing some radical differences within this new generation people have called Gen Z. So wanting myself to figure this out and figuring there's probably a lot of other youth influencers that care about the next generation that are looking for some practical tools how to pass on their faith. Yeah, and it's interesting because you look at the data that Barna and others are putting out there, and this is stuff that I've been looking at for a while, and I've got a six-year-old and a three-year-old, and I'm constantly thinking, you know, what is the future going to be like for them? And then I think back, I'm 35 now, so I think back to, you know, 20 years ago where I was in life and what I was facing and what, what young people are facing today, but those statistics that show that Generation Z is like the most disconnected generation when it comes to faith and just in general, you know, for having all the connections they have um, digitally being so disconnected and so just sad. And you know, you look at all the indicators and it seems, it seems so troubling, right? But what is your, like, what would you say the church can do right now today to help bridge some of those divides? Well, I think the first thing we need to realize is, yes, there are significant challenges with this generation brought on digitally. There's challenges which shapes a young person's worldview. There's also relational challenges, how disconnected this generation is. And we're seeing mental health and depression and loneliness just or the lack of mental health. And those factors like loneliness and depression just increase 
precipitously with this generation. So amidst all that, I think it's important not to just feel like there's this insurmountable gap between us and the next generation. Because even though there's differences, we have much more in common with young people than we do differences. Mm. So sometimes we think there's this generation gap and we go, they speak a different language, different music, I can't even relate to them. I say, no, this is the time to step into their lives, to listen to them, to build relationships because they have more challenges just one click away than any previous generation has. So in some sense, this book is just kind of a wake up call to people to say, we've got to be very intentional and strategic because this generation is facing some significant and serious challenges. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing that just like it, what scares me is that it feels like we are living. And I guess before I go there, let me let me say that I do feel like there's something we talk a lot about the negative, and there is so much negative in culture um, yep. of having culture change. But at the same time, lately I've been thinking, okay, well, this almost forces us to refine what it is we believe to make sure we know what it is we believe, and not to just live in this fog of sort of a culture that accepts our beliefs. And so we kind of just glide through life and, you know, you don't really have to commit when everybody around you is agreeing, but when people around you aren't agreeing and culture isn't in line with what you believe, you really do have to own it. Um, but how do you, how do you get kids? And this is the challenge that I have just thinking about my own kids. Like how do you guide them in a way that, that brings them toward truth when everything around them feels devoid of truth, if that makes sense? That is a great question. I think that's the heart of what we're trying to address in this book. And I think the first thing is we have to build intimate, close, just warm relationships with our kids to have even the right to speak into their lives. So really the way we frame this book was this generation is experiencing information overload. So this affects their worldview, how they process truth. It affects their brains. It affects their relationships. How do we get them to listen to us and the scripture and the church when they have a million voices speaking into them every moment? Mm. And I think one is if there's trust. I think your kids will listen to you. I think young people will listen to me. If I build a relationship with them and they sense that I really care, I'm trying to understand I have their best interest in mind, that earns the right so to speak into the life of a young person. Now, this isn't really anything new. This is the way God has made us. But what's new is the amount of messages constantly coming to our kids every moment of the day, yeah. giving contrary biblical messages. And then the second thing is to be very strategic about helping our kids understand and learn truth. So I am always looking for opportunities to engage my kids in conversation at the dinner table, driving in the car. I look for movies to take them to. I am very, very intentional without being preachy and being over the top of seizing opportunities that are there to engage my kids in discussion. So really what Jim and I are doing in this book is we're not saying here's a whole new program you have to do. We're simply saying we can do some tweaks here and there and more strategically use the opportunities that are in front of us if we see them, then all studies show it's actually parents that do make the biggest influence on their kids, even more than these messages coming from culture. The question is just, are we capitalizing on that platform that we naturally have? 
Yeah, and just as we have to focus in, I think, on our faith and know what it is we believe, you know, we have to be more intentional. And that's why I'm excited for, you know, and those who are listening, we're talking about the book, So the Next Generation Will Know. It comes out on May 1st. Uh, but one of the things, you know, for me, when I talk to my kids, I do this thing with my six-year-old, my three-year-old, you know, she's all over the place. It's hard to get her to understand things. But my six-year-old, <laughs> we talk, you know how that is, we talk about, um, you know, life questions. I say every morning, like, what life questions do you have today? And she'll, like, ask silly things. Um, or very serious things. You know, we were talking today actually about kids in her school who she noticed were different, who had special needs. And so she was asking questions, did God make them that way? You know, and and so we started going through, you know, how we treat other people and things like that. I mean, and it always goes back to, you know, love God and love others. And what does that mean? And so she's really grasping that. But one of the things, and I don't know if you saw this data, um, but this was a few years back and it's something that really convicted me. It was the Annenberg Center. They put out the study that said that, you know, when you look at the kinds of content that you let your kids watch, right, that parents who watch and consume things that might be more sexually explicit or violent, that they are actually more desensitized and more likely to let their kids watch those things without even realizing that they're letting... It's just like your your guard is down a little bit. Um, mm. And so I thought that was so interesting. And again, it was a little convicting, not that I'm constantly watching those things, but in thinking about, okay, like, what am I taking in? You know, we're talking a lot about young people and what they're taking in, but as a parent, you know, and just as a human being, what's good for me to be consuming, right, in culture and looking at? So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I thought I'd throw it out there. Well, my one of the things my dad taught me that we talk about in the book is that we can really only pass on to the next generation what we have inculcated into our own life. So we have a chapter on worldview, and one of the first things we say is, look, if you want your kids to think Christianly, you've got to take loving God with your mind seriously. That doesn't mean you have to go get a master's, and certainly anyone listening is welcome to come get a master's with me at Biola (laughs) if you're so inclined. But obviously most people don't have the time and resources to do that. Listen to a worldview theology podcast. Get one or two books start to watch some videos on YouTube. This is Jesus said, love God with your mind. And so like you're saying, our spiritual disciplines, our understanding gives us the capacity to start passing this on to our kids. So this is why I encourage people like at the dinner table, like, hey, just, you know, we saw the movie Unplanned recently and I brought Mm -hmm. my 11 year old daughter and we talked about it. And she was interested in it. And my, my son, who's 14, he also saw it. Now, obviously, he didn't bring my son, who's six. But then we started discussing. And I was able to have a good conversation with them because I've thought about the issue of abortion. I've thought about it scripturally and scientifically. I've tried to build my own worldview as I can so I'm able to pass it on to my kids. So we're not trying to give people this huge extra program, but just say, hey, are you strategically following blogs or thinking Christianly? Then you can have the kind of conversations you're talking about, Billy, that are meaningful, that really help our kids learn to think Christianly. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And yeah, Unplanned, it's so funny, just as a side note, I think with, with Unplanned, it's one of those movies that really makes you think and, and makes you process through, because you're confronted with the reality of what that issue is, right? So I, I love that you took the kids to see that and had that conversation, but I think that's so... That's so true, you know, finding those conversation starters, too, and that's definitely one um, on that issue. Now, 
you mentioned your dad, and your dad is Josh McDowell, who I, I love. He's just phenomenal. I've interviewed him many times in the past. And I don't know. I, I just asked this question to Priscilla Schreier the other day about her dad, uh, Tony Evans. And I, so I'm going to ask you, but just as the as the kid of somebody who has been so out there, you know, as an apologist and, you know, in missions and preaching the gospel, you know, not everybody who comes out of a Christian home, and that's what we're talking about here, like reaching the next generation, but not everybody ends up, you know, following the gospel and embracing the gospel. And so I've been kind of asking people who have gone the route that you have and that Priscilla and others have and others have, what was it that your father did and that your parents did that you found the most compelling to to ensuring that you stayed on that same path? I think it's a few things. Number one would be my mom. I mean, my mom believes in my dad. Billy, I can never remember my mom once saying anything negative about my dad, and who's probably gone half the time. They are truly a team and on the same page. So my dad could not have done it without my mom being so loving and committed and involved in our lives. Second, I think it's just the relationship that I had with my dad and still have today. I wasn't really angry growing up, like sometimes kids who feel expectation and, you know, just people expect them to act a certain way. My dad didn't put that expectation on me. I always knew that he loved me, knew that he cared about me. He made it a priority to spend time with us, myself and my sisters. So he was gone and I missed him sometimes. But because there was a relationship there, I knew that he loved my mom. I knew that he loved us. You know, it talks about love covering a multitude of sins. I think that's what would describe it, that when he was gone or missing and, you know, I just knew the depth that he loved me. And third, I just say, what you see is what you get with my dad. He is no different at home. In fact, sometimes at home, I'm like, Dad, you're not on stage preaching. I know you get excited about this. (laughs) It's okay. He is passionate on stage. He's passionate off. I mean, he wears his heart on his sleeve. So I just felt like, gosh, my mom is there supporting him. I have a relationship with him. He's authentic in who he is. So the times I missed him and times that were tough, it just covered all that. And they never put pressure on me to go into ministry, to become an apologist, to write. They never did. The only narrative that I remember was, you know, use whatever gifts you have to serve the Lord. And whatever that looks like with you, you know, go for it, serve the Lord, and we're proud of you. That was it. So those are probably a few things that come to my mind. No, that's that's amazing. I think I'm always looking for that advice too. You know, secretly I ask that question in interviews, but it's like I want to know so that I can do those things for <laughs> for my kids to make sure that sure. they that they do that, right? Um now, you spend a lot of time, obviously, with young people. I mean, you're, you've written this book, but you, you're with college students. You're with people who are in the process of learning and growing um, at a young age. What What are some of the tra- – have you seen any changing trends in the last decade or two? I mean, what are some of the things you observe among the students you interact with that are either encouraging and or maybe even troubling? <laughs> well, the, the, the channel A&E did a show called Undercover High. And they sent back some kids that were 22, 23, 24, back to high school to observe as undercover as if they were students to analyze high school. This came out this past year. And the biggest thing they observed was just that technology has changed everything. It has literally changed everything with this generation, whether it's their attention spans, how they build relationships, physically structured their brains. 
So if you want to understand this generation, you've got to realize that they are digital natives. I mean, this is the first generation that's probably swiping an iPhone or iPads before they could even read and some of them even talk. So I don't even know that we know yet exactly how this shapes all aspects of their lives as they grow up. But I think it's tied to what you said earlier. Some of the loneliness and depression and anxiety is due to this social media ubiquitous just kind of culture that we live in. So I think the biggest change is just social media and digital technology shaping their relationships and how they think more profoundly than anything else. Yeah, no, and and that's and I think that'll be interesting to see in the next twenty years what that looks like and what the impact of that is. I I do think we're seeing some of that um, already, but but I think you need time to see how it plays out in the long term and some of that that's disconnectedness right. and all of that. I think part of it is probably coming from that. Also, not being able to escape bullies, right? Like when we were kids, it was easy to escape a bully because you'd go home and it's like I don't have to deal with you until tomorrow. Now it's like I go home and it's happening on Twitter and Facebook or wherever. And so it's it's this whole other world. Um, and there are positives too, you know, obviously on social. But um, let me ask you this, and this is sort of a different question, but and it's a loaded question. And I think somebody like you who looks at you know faith and and you know as an apologist and and sort of helps people understand. I've seen some of the debates that you've done; they're phenomenal. Um, and just sort of looking into scripture for truth. What for you has been the most consistent and compelling evidence of Christianity? Oh gosh, I, you know I was <laughs> I'm throwing just, it. I'm throwing it out there. Let's. <laughs> well, you know, I was just teaching a class this morning with high school students on the resurrection, and the point that I made to them, I said, it's not just one fact that this rests upon. Although Christianity rests entirely on the truth of the resurrection. There's a cumulative case from a range of different disciplines. So the beginning of the universe, I think, powerfully points towards a beginner. The fine-tuning of the universe powerfully points towards a fine-tuner. The information in the cell points towards an author of life. The moral law, we know there's a right and wrong, is best explained by a moral law giver. And then when you look at certain facts surrounding the person of Jesus— his claims to be God, how early and consistent these claims are with manuscripts that outstrips any other ancient document by far. And then you have these facts surrounding the resurrection. You really have this powerful case that God exists and revealed himself through the person of Jesus. So for me, I did my dissertation on the fate of the apostles, their willingness to suffer and die for their beliefs. I spent three years studying this in depth. And I really concluded that we can't show they all died as martyrs, but they believed they had seen the risen Jesus, and they were willing to put themselves in harm's way and willing to die to proclaim this message for which they got no power or they got no material gain or no, you know, it wasn't for sexual reasons. It was because they thought this was true. So that tells me that they're not liars. They're not making this up. They were proclaiming a message they really believed. And we're willing to put their lives in the line for it. So as a whole, I think it's a cumulative case. But I do I am captivated by the fact that they're willing to suffer so deeply for this message tells me these apostles really believed it and didn't invent it. Yeah. And and it's it's super compelling. I mean, it really is. It's like when you when you look at that narrative of where people were willing to go, how far they were willing to take it, um, the arguments that it's made up or it's fake or that these people were somehow 
not seeing what they were claiming to see. It just it doesn't add up at all. Um, I know atheists like to focus a lot on the things they find in the Bible that they say are horrible. They'll say that the Bible condones slavery and rape, and you go down the line, you hear all of these things. Um, but it seems there's a lot of context missing from those critiques and conversations. Well, it's, it's not only just context, although I think you're right about that. I don't even think the atheist has a basis by which to critique the Bible as being immoral. I mean, if you say it's unjust that the Bible would say, just for example, allow slavery. Well, you can't have injustice unless there's such a thing as justice. And how do you get justice if there is no God? I want to know by what moral standpoint and moral authority an atheist even says that genocide in the Bible or misogyny in the Bible or slavery allowed in the Bible is even wrong. And I don't think there is an objective moral standard of morality you can come to as an atheist. So an atheist is welcome to critique the Bible in the way that you described, but by doing so, they have to borrow from the Christian ethic that there is a God who made us in his image and gave us value, and this is a universe in which there's right and wrong. So they have to borrow from our worldview, in a sense, to critique our worldview. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. And I think I'd love to have you back to talk more about this, because I think there's so there's so much we could discuss. And I think there are a lot of people, particularly Christians, who are looking for answers, looking to answer those critiques, right? Um, what what do they say to somebody who, who says, you know, the Bible condones this or that? And so we could do a whole <laughs> podcast series on that. But for today, uh, we'll stop there. And anybody who wants to get more information, uh, the book comes out May 1st. It's So the Next Generation Will Know. Now, Sean, where can people go to find out more about you and your work? My website is seanmcdowell.org. Easy Sean, enough. Yep, seanmcdowell.org. I'm on Twitter. I have a YouTube channel. We actually have a pre-order deal for the book. If someone pre-orders it and just sends us a screenshot of the receipt to offer at coldcasechristianity.com, we will send them a ton of free stuff to help train this generation. Oh, that's great. I'm going to have to do that. You're going to get my receipt in the mail. I love it. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Billy. We'll be right back with more of the Pure Flix podcast. Did you know you can access thousands of entertaining and inspiring faith and family friendly TV shows, movies, and original series? It's simple. Just log on to pureflix.com right now to start your free one month trial. From kids' content to some of the most uplifting films, We've got your entire family covered. Sign up today. And we're back with more of the Pure Flix podcast. Welcome back to the show. So if you guys have been listening to the podcast, you know that there's a great event coming up. It's the Answering Atheist Conference. It's happening this Easter at the Ark Encounter Attraction in Kentucky. It's going to be held from April 17th through the 21st. Now, you can find out more about this event at answeringatheist.org. But this is going to be one of those great events that really prepares you as a Christian and how to share your faith, how to respond to atheists and critics and those who might um, come after what you believe or just have very basic 
basic questions, maybe even tough questions that you don't know how to answer. The Answering Atheist Conference will help you. It will equip you and your family to answer those questions. You can go to answeringatheist.org to find out more. We also sat down with a bunch of the people who are going to be speaking at that event and running that event. We had Ken Ham, Ray Comfort, and so many others. You can watch those interviews over at facebook.com slash uplift and serve. You can see what they had to say, but we had a chance to really ask Ken Ham a lot about his life. And for those who don't know, he's the he's the guy who founded the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum, but about his life, his ministry, same for Ray Comfort. And so it was a lot of fun to sit down with them and talk. They are going to be presenting and speaking at the Answering Atheist Conference, and many others will be as well. This is a conference that is sponsored by PureFlix.com. Be sure to check that out at AnsweringAtheist.org. Now, I want to pose a challenge to you guys, and, and this is for everyone listening. We published a blog post titled Five Ways to Reboot Your Relationship with God, and it really gave, gave you a lot to think about. I spoke about it on the last podcast, just different things we can do, simple commitments, reading our Bible daily, praying daily, but I want to actually make a commitment, and I want to get you guys to join me, anybody who's willing, for the next 30 days. What if we all woke up every morning and committed to prayer, but to saying a very very specific prayer. And by the way, you can pray anyway, anywhere. So this is super easy. You get up and you just do it, right? You could do it on the train, in the car. You could do it anywhere. Now, but what if we said something like, Lord, please guide me no matter where I want to work, live, no matter what I want to say or do in my life, no matter how I'm feeling, please guide me where you want me, use me how you want me, and place me where you want me to be. Now, I'm going to repeat that. Um, And again, you don't have to do it word for word, but if you join me in this commitment every morning for the next 30 days saying a prayer like this, I really think it can help change our lives and change our perspective. So again, Lord, guide me no matter where I want to work, live, no matter what I want to say or do, and no matter how I'm feeling about life, please guide me where you want me, use me how you want to use me, and place me where you want to place me. You know, the Bible says, seek the Lord in his strength, seek his face continually. That's 1 Chronicles 16, 11. We know we're supposed to pray. We know we're supposed to do it daily. I think a lot of times I get sucked into praying for the things that I want in my life, and you know, which is fine, but I kind of stop there. And so I've really been trying to challenge myself to ask God, hey, where do you want me to be? What do you want me to be doing? Align my life with your plan for my life, because I know in my heart that that is the best plan. So for the next 30 days, let's take this Bible challenge, this prayer challenge, and get up every day and do this. Say this prayer, and let's see how our lives change. And I'll be bringing this up again on the podcast. I would love to hear from you guys as well. So don't hesitate to reach out on Facebook or other places to let us know what you think about that challenge, how that challenge over the next 30 days is impacting your life. Now, we're moving to the close of the show here, but I want to encourage you guys. There's a project that I was honored to have the chance to co-direct and co-produce with uh, PureFlix.com, and it's called After Columbine. And the anniversary, for those who don't know, the 20th anniversary of the Columbine shooting is coming up on April 20th. Now, this is a it's a digital show. It's three episodes, and it really features the harrowing stories of Columbine survivors, their family members, and others who were directly impacted by the tragedy. And these survivors, we had a chance to sit down with them to talk about faith, forgiveness, 
hope, how you move forward after an event like Columbine and how they have chosen to do positive things with their lives. And it's just, it's an incredibly powerful series. You can watch it for free. Um, It's not behind the Pure Flix paywall. Uh, So you can do that over at aftercolumbine.tv. That's aftercolumbine.tv. I'd encourage you guys to check the series out. It really transcends the issues in the headlines. So many of the things that are discussed around events like Columbine, we wanted to get beyond that to explore how survivors and families move forward and how God and the human spirit uh, through God can really help people overcome unimaginable pain and suffering as a result of a tragedy like that. Please check that out at aftercolumbine.tv. And we thank you so much for tuning in today. Please go to facebook.com slash pureflix and pureflix.com for more daily inspiring content. And don't forget to check out insider.pureflix.com. That's our blog where we have daily blog posts, interviews, and so much more. We'll see you next week. That's all for today's podcast. You can follow Pure Flix on Facebook at facebook.com slash pureflix and on Twitter at pureflix. And be sure to log on today to pureflix.com for your free month of access to thousands of faith and family friendly movies and TV shows. Thanks for listening to the Pure Flix podcast.